So Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, though the sermon text will begin in verse 17. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, He led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, Do not give the devil a foothold. 
He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving others, each other, just as Christ, or just as in Christ, God forgave you. And thus ends the reading of God's holy word. In a short story uh, written by an author named Flannery O'Connor, Flannery O'Connor is a Roman Catholic artist or author who often wrote very pointedly about spiritual realities in her stories. But in this story called The Enduring Chill, there's a man named Asbury who returns home from the city to his uh, backwoods podunk hometown. And Asbury is a man who has attempted to be a great artist, but he comes home as a failed man, a man who has written several novels and poems, but all of them have ended up in the trash can because they are lifeless and emotionless and of no use to anyone in the end. And Asbury returns home weary and ill for what he believes to be the last time. You see, he has grown sick and pale, and believing that death has come to call on him, he returns to his hometown. And as he's waiting for death to take him, he has his mother call for a priest. Though he is not a religious man, though he has no religious convictions whatsoever, because Asbury simply wants to have one last pleasant and intellectually stimulating conversation with this priest, Asbury believes that he's probably the only intellectual in town. But when the priest comes, he has an encounter like nothing Asbury ever expected to take place. The priest comes to Asbury and he begins berating him. This man who has no faith in a Savior, he begins asking him questions about his prayers, about his prayer life, about his knowledge of the catechism, and all of which Asbury cannot comprehend the significance of until at last the priest cries out in a fiery voice, Your soul is filled with trash. The Holy Spirit cannot come to you until you see yourself for who you are a lazy, ignorant, conceited youth. Shortly after, the priest leaves, but he has left a mark upon this man that will not go away. Asbury has been shocked clean out of his skin. Asbury is a changed man, though he doesn't quite know it yet or comprehend the extent of what this means. And as you reach the end of this story, Asbury looks out a window and he is blinded by a light, the text tells us. 
And in that moment, he sees his old life fade away. And the old man that was in him begins to fade. And a new man comes in a whirlwind type fashion, changing him for the rest of his days, leaving a mark upon his soul. He will always be different. He will always be something other than what he was before because the old man and his life died and a new man has come. People of God, this morning we have before us a text about this very thing. Before us is a text about the dying of the old man and the coming of the new man. For those, of, for those who are in Christ, the old man who is within us has passed away and a new man has come. And this transformation is what is before us. This transformation that leaves a mark on the souls who have been brought out of darkness, out of the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of light. And we all too easily forget just how shocking this new reality is, just as it shocked Asbury. We forget what it is exactly that has been spoken of us. But Paul, knowing our forgetfulness, knowing our constant need to remember the shocking reality of the gospel, reminds us once again. And so Paul reminds us, showing us who we once were, And who we are now, a theme that you have heard throughout Ephesians again and again and again. This isn't anything new in some sense, because this is the heart of what Paul is driving at in Ephesians. A theme that will mark us and change us for the rest of our days. For truly, the gospel leaves a mark on your soul. And if you are in Christ, you will always be different You will always be something other than what you were before. And God shows us this by first reminding us that we are no longer walking in darkness. We are no longer walking in darkness. Verse 17 opens up, and Paul is declaring a word to the people of God. He says, I testify concerning you. I bear witness over you, you Ephesians. I I testify on your behalf that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do. It's a very interesting and intentional choice of words here. Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, writing to this people, a body composed primarily of Gentiles, declares over them, you no longer walk as Gentiles. You're not really Gentiles anymore. You're different now. You've been changed. Though your ethnicity has not changed, your spiritual loyalties have. Though you are Gentiles by birth, you are now no longer Gentiles according to the Spirit of God. No longer are you like the world around you. You're different. You have changed. Do you remember how it is that you have changed how you're different from the world around you? Well, let me remind you. You used to walk just like the Gentiles. You used to walk just like those who still reject Christ walk. And they used to walk, or you used to walk in the futility of your minds, 
in the vanity of your minds. Everything you did, everything you thought was in vain. Your intellects were clouded as though or from the sun, and you could not see anything clearly. You wandered about in the darkness like blind men groping for a life. And what's worse is that in your blindness of mind, you were alienated from God. You were estranged from him like foreigners walking in a land that was not their own, among nation and a people that were not your own, walking among strangers with strange customs and practices. This is how you were estranged from God, alienated from him. You did not know God and you did not walk by his light. Paul here You'll notice he's speaking about how their blindness affects their intellect, how it affects their mind. The mind of unbelievers here have been darkened. In other words, the intellectual pursuits of pagans who do not know God are ultimately futile because they do not know God. Paul doesn't stop here just saying that the problem is their intellect. The problem is that they don't understand God or see him in their mind. Instead, he drives right for the heart of the problem through this text. He says in verse 18, your minds were darkened. Your thoughts were vain, which alienated you from God because of the ignorance in your mind and thoughts. But all of this, all of these things is rooted in the hardness of your heart. Notice What Paul just did, Paul rooted the corruption of men, the corruption of pagans' minds. All these thoughts that you hear, their intellectual pursuits are all rooted, and the problem is rooted in their heart. In essence, he's saying that corruption of men, the corruption of men in their intellects and their attempts to know anything in an ultimate way, trying to understand life and understanding the cosmos and the world around them. And all of their reason is ultimately folly because their hearts are dead set against God. Just like Pharaoh, back when Moses was standing before him, when Pharaoh refused to let the people of God go free, refusing to heed the commandment of God to let a people go free. And he does this because his heart is hardened. His prideful, sinful heart is dead set against the God of the universe. The evidence of God is all before him in the form of plagues. And yet this man stands hardened against the God of the universe, unable to see him and believe. So, too, here are the Gentiles who seek to know and to understand anything in this life without first and foremost knowing God. They are morally corrupt. Their consciences have been seared. But it's their moral bankruptcy that leads to this intellectual blindness. Their hearts have been turned to stone against God. And because of this, because of the hardness of their hearts, they give themselves over to lusts of the flesh, to sensuality, to covetousness, to all forms of impurity. It really reminds you of that passage in Romans chapter 1, where Paul shows how the ungodly suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. 
always divining some explanation for the world around them, always pushing away the truth and the existence of a holy God who is there. But don't be fooled when you talk, or don't be fooled when you talk to unbelievers. It's not an intellectual problem that you are dealing with. It's not that they need more evidences for the proof or the truth of God. The problem, Paul says, the heart of the matter is that it is grounded in their moral corruption. They stand pitted against God, hating him in their heart, heart of hearts because of the sinfulness within them. And Paul is saying, these Gentiles who have rejected God, these Gentiles who have had their hearts hardened against God as stone, you no longer walk like them. You're not like them anymore. Everything I have just been describing, everything I just related, you will no longer walk like this. Their senses and their intellects have been hardened by their hearts and they pursue all sorts of wickedness. They pursue whatever their hearts covet and whatever sensual desire they choose, the impure cravings they have. Their God is their belly. And surely of such as these were some of you. But you no longer walk like this. A different truth has been spoken over you. And you are no longer walking in the old self. You are no longer walking in the old self. We come to verse 20. And Paul gets uh, emphatic here. He's really emphasizing that you may have once walked like those Gentiles over there, but now you cannot walk that way any longer. We often read these words here in this section as a command, but this isn't a command. This isn't Paul saying, don't do that anymore. This isn't the uh, hyperbole. Uh, this isn't a wrist slap saying, now stop it, kid. Knock it off. You aren't supposed to do that anymore. Instead, he's declaring something. He's declaring that it's not even possible for you to walk that way anymore. Why? We well, says, because you belong to a new schoolhouse. You have learned Christ now. You're on a different bus the bus you have boarded is driving in a complete opposite direction as those Gentiles who wander around in the futility of their minds. If they go to the school in the south, you go to the school in the north. You're going the opposite direction. If they go to the school in the east, you go to the school in the west. You are not walking the way that they walk. The Gentiles belong to the schoolhouse of vanity, vanity of vanities. But you, you belong to the schoolhouse of Christ. You have learned Christ. You have not learned Christ in the way the Gentiles have. Your minds are no longer darkened as theirs are, for you have learned Christ. In fact, you not only have learned Christ, but you've heard him. You are taught only in him. I love these verses here of verses 20 and 21, because the language here is so strange and unusual that you're meant to slow down to really take in what he's saying. He says, you have learned 
Christ. That's what it is truly in the Greek. You have learned Christ. Not that you have learned about Christ, but that you have learned Christ. You have heard Christ, is what he says in 21. Not that you have heard about Christ, but you have heard His voice. You have been taught in Him. Not that you have been taught about Him, but by being in Christ, you are instructed. And there's a difference between those two things. Paul is not saying, today I learned about Christopher Columbus and I was taught about all that he did by my teacher. He's not saying he has learned about Christ as though he is a subject in school that you can study in a disconnected way. He is saying instead, you cannot, or he's saying instead, you cannot walk like the Gentiles because you are united to Christ. There is a new reality that has been spoken about you. You learn and know, not by studying about him as a subject in school, like grammar or science, but you know him because, of, uh, because he is your head, and you are in union to him. And this union is so close, it's so intimate that you know him. He speaks directly to you through the word of God himself, itself. He teaches you, and you hear his voice ultimately because you are in Christ. You are united to Christ by faith, and this changes everything. You won't be able to be like the word. It's not world. It's not even possible. You are not of the world. You are connected to Christ. If you go and visit the schoolhouse of the world, you'll see that you don't belong there. It would only take a few minutes to know that this is not your home. I hesitate to use the analogy because I disagree with the conclusion he arrived at. Uh, but Plato once wrote about men who were stuck in a dark cave. And they were watching the shadows on the wall, trying to interpret them, trying to understand the world around them based on the shadows that were dancing before the, uh, their eyes. And one of the men was dragged out of the cave into the blinding light of the sun. And this one man finally comprehends the shadows on the wall. And he goes back to explain to the other men who are still trapped in the cave but the others ignore him. They don't listen to him because they cannot comprehend what he is talking about. Because they themselves were never brought into the light. They were never brought into relation with that light. People of God, your eyes have been opened to the truth because you have been united to him who is the embodiment of truth. As verse 21 says, you have learned Christ and know that you have heard the voice of Christ himself who is light. But the Gentiles, according to the Spirit, still walk in darkness. For their hearts are hardened against the living God. And you'll see this is the case immediately. When you walk among those who are of, their, of the world, their actions speak louder than words. Verse 21 tells us that the world, people who reject Christ, people who you no longer belong to, 
and do not know Christ, they act according to the deceitful corruption of their passions. They operate according to their lusts, the passions of whatever they desire at the moment. But for you, you no longer walk according to that old man. God has spoken a different reality concerning you. Instead, you are walking in newness of life. Walking in newness of life. It's interesting as we come to this language in verses 23 and 24, that if you've ever been in Christian circles long enough, you know that we usually speak of the old man and the new man language, uh, specifically referring to our sanctification, which is uh, that theological for term for that process where we are being more and more conformed to the image of Christ in this life. And to be sure, in most cases in Scripture, when you see that language of old man and new man, like in Romans or in Colossians, Colossians, it refers to sanctification. It refers to how we are to actively be putting off the deeds of the old man to death and doing the good works of the new man. But Paul here is using it a little differently. These aren't pure imperatives in front of us. These aren't commands. A few weeks ago, I uh, commented on how when you get to the second half of Ephesians, we're in what's called the imperative of Ephesians or the command section where we learn how to apply the truths of the first three chapters of the letter, learning how it is that we live in accordance with that truth. But in this whole section that we've been in this morning today, Paul doesn't use one time an imperative. He doesn't use one command. So when we read these phrases, put off the old man and put on the new man, Paul isn't saying, go out and do this in your life. You need to do this and go out and work hard at putting off the old man and putting on the new man. You need to grow further in your sanctification. Rather, God is declaring this is the way it is. Here is the reality of your life. I'm going to take each of Paul's phrases here as we uh, read them in English uh, and rearrange them because they uh, sound more like commands as you read them in your English text. And so we'll rephrase them a bit to make it more clear what Paul is doing. Because you are in Christ and his righteousness covers you. Verse 17, you no longer walk like Gentiles do. Because this truth is spoken of you, this is the result. Because Christ died as a sacrifice for your sins and impurities. Because he died for your covetousness, those sins that you walked in when you walked in darkness. Verse 21, so you have put off the conduct of the old man. As Christ has done these things for you, so this is the reality that is true for you. Because Christ has stood in your place as a substitute, because Christ has washed you clean from all of your sins, verse 23, you are renewed in the spirit of your mind. You are clothed in the new man throughout. Because you are in Christ... Because you have been united to Christ 
by faith, resting and receiving the redemptive work of Christ on your behalf, both in his uh, sacrificial death for your sins and his clothing you in his righteousness, then you are receiving the very righteousness of Christ himself in your place. Your old man, the sinful man, has truly passed away. He is dead and gone. You have been clothed in the new man. The old man has been done away with. You have been clothed in the righteousness of Christ, who is the new man, who is the second Adam, who is the second man. And you, yourselves, have been recreated. This has changed, this radical change has taken place over you. And though this old man that lives within you will rear his ugly head all throughout our lives, it does not change the fact that God has declared a new reality over you. He has declared that you have become a new creation, that you are righteous in his sight. He has declared that you are holy as he is holy. That you are in the truth and in the light because you are united to the one who is truth and light. All because you are covered by the precious blood of Christ, our Lord and Savior. People of God, this text is truly saying that God is declaring that we no longer walk according to the old man. We have been recreated into something new, clothed in a new man, clothed in Christ himself. What does that mean for the here and now? What does that mean when we begin to harden our hearts again, when we begin to walk like the Gentiles do, going in the opposite direction that we are meant to go? At the end of the story I quoted from earlier, Asbury has been seen by a doctor for his sickness. And the doctor comes and he declares to this sick man, you will not die. The illness that you will face will come back again and again, but you will not die. You will live. And though Asbury has given up the old man, though his old life has faded away, though he will endure and ultimately live forever, in this life he will be racked and raked by the fact that the old man will rear his ugly head in the form of his sickness. The old man will reappear again and again. He will live this life of frailty, one where he will easily fall back into sinfulness again and again, but he will live. And the story ends saying, enduring, he would live in the face of the purifying terror of the Holy Ghost. And what that means as though this life will be filled with disappointing moments for each and every one of us here. Moments when the old man will lift his head and for a moment you will try to walk as you once did, as a Gentile according to the flesh, and you realize once again that you have failed a holy, pure, and righteous God once again. This God whom you have no right to stand before in his presence. When that happens... 
Turn to Jesus. Look upon the one who has changed you into a new creation, who has spoken this new reality over you, who clothed you in his own righteousness that you may live. People of God, turn to Jesus. Trust anew and afresh, regularly, day by day, in the work done on your behalf on the cross long ago. Feed upon him. Find your strength in him and in what he has done. And for by so doing, you will receive all the food that you need for the journey of this life that you are on. This journey from this life into the life to come. He is all we need. Though we look around ourselves, though we see this old man return again and again, Christ has spoken something over you, and his word is more sure than the sun's rising tomorrow morning. He has said it, and it is so. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, We come before you and we thank you and we praise you. Lord, we know that there is uh, sickness within us. and We know our hearts incline towards evil. We know these things about us. And yet, Father, you have looked upon us and you have clothed us in righteousness. You have given us Christ himself as our head as our Deliverer, as our Savior. We pray, Father, that you would continue to turn our eyes towards him, that we might continue to seek to walk in righteousness and holiness, continuing to turn our intellects away from darkness, continuing to turn away from justifying our actions, our sinfulness, and continue to seek and strive after righteousness because of Christ's because he has spoken a new word over us, because of the new man who is within us and who speaks a better word for us. Father, we thank you for these things. We pray, Lord, that you uh, would continue to uh, guide and direct us even as we continue to worship here this day. In Christ's name, amen.